Chapter twenty eight of Love and Mr. Lewisham by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. The Coming of the Roses. And the roses miscarried. When Lewisham returned from Vigors, it was already nearly seven. He entered the house with a beating heart. He had expected to find Ethel excited, the roses displayed. But her face was white and jaded. He was so surprised by this that the greeting upon his lips died away. He was balked. He went into the sitting-room, and there were no roses to be seen. Ethel came past him and stood with her back to him, looking out of the window. The suspense was suddenly painful. He was obliged to ask, though he was certain of the answer, "'Has nothing come?' Ethel looked at him. "'What did you think had come?' "'Oh, nothing.' She looked out of the window again. "'No,' she said slowly, "'nothing has come.' He tried to think of something to say that might bridge the distance between them, but he could think of nothing. He must wait until the roses came.' He took out his books, and a gaunt hour passed to supper-time. Supper was a chilly ceremonial, set with necessary over-polite remarks. Disappointment and exasperation darkened Lewisham's soul. He began to feel angry with everything, even with her. He perceived she still judged him angry, and that made him angry with her. He was resuming his books, and she was helping Madame Gadow's servant to clear away, when they heard a rapping at the street door. "'They have come at last,' he said to himself, brightening, and hesitated whether he should bolt or witness her reception of them. The servant was a nuisance. Then he heard Chaffrey's voice, and whispered a soft damn to himself. The only thing to do now, if the roses came, was to slip out into the passage, intercept them, and carry them into the bedroom by the door between that and the passage. It would be undesirable for Chaffery to witness that phase of sentiment. He might flash some dart of ridicule that would stick in their memory for ever. Lewisham tried to show that he did not want a visitor. But Chaffery was in high spirits, and could have warmed a dozen cold welcomes. He sat down, without any express invitation, in the chair that he preferred. Before Mr. and Mrs. Chaffery, the Lewishams veiled whatever trouble might be between them, beneath an insincere cordiality, and Chaffery was soon talking freely, unsuspicious of their crisis. He produced two cigars. "'I had a wild moment!' he said. For once, said I, the honest shall smoke the admirable, or the admirable shall smoke the honest, whichever you like best. Try one? No? Those austere principles of yours. There will be more pleasure, then. But really, I would as soon you smoked it as I, for tonight I radiate benevolence. He cut the cigar with care, he lit it with ceremony, waiting until nothing but honest wood was burning on the match, and for fully a minute he was silent, evolving huge puffs of smoke. And then he spoke again, punctuating his words by varied and beautiful spirals. "'So far,' he said, "'I have only trifled with knavery.' 
As Lewisham said nothing, he resumed after a pause. There are three sorts of men in the world, my boy. Three and no more. And a women only one. There are happy men and there are knaves and fools. Hybrids I don't count. And to my mind, knaves and fools are very much alike. He paused again. I suppose they are, said Lewisham flatly, and frowned at the fireplace. Chaffery eyed him. I am talking wisdom. Tonight I am talking a particular brand of wisdom. I am broaching some of my oldest and finest, because, as you will find one day, this is a special occasion. And you are distraught. Lewisham looked up. Birthday, he said. You will see. But I was making golden observations about knaves and fools. I was early convinced of the absolute necessity of righteousness if a man is to be happy. I know it as surely as there is a sun in the heavens. Does that surprise you? Well, it hardly squares. No, I know. I will explain all that. But let me tell you the happy life. Let me give you that, as if I lay on my deathbed and this was a parting gift. In the first place, mental integrity. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is right. Let the world have no illusions for you, no surprises. Nature is full of cruel catastrophes. Man is a physically degenerate ape. Every appetite, every instinct needs the curb. Salvation is not in the nature of things, but whatever salvation there may be is in the nature of man. Face all these painful things. I hope you follow that. Go on, said Lewisham, with the debating society taste for a thesis prevailing for a minute over that matter of the roses. In youth, exercise and learning, in adolescence, ambition, and in early manhood, love, no footlight passion. Chaffery was very solemn and insistent, with a lean extended finger, upon this point. Then marriage, young and decent, and then children, and stout honest work for them, work too for the state in which they live. A life of self-devotion, indeed, and for sunset a decent pride. That is the happy life. Rest assured, that is the happy life, the life natural selection has been shaping for man since life began. So a man may go happy from the cradle to the grave, at least passably happy. And to do this needs just three things, a sound body, a sound intelligence, and a sound will, a sound will. Chaffery paused on the repetition. No other happiness endures, and when all men are wise, all men will seek that life. Fame, wealth, art. The Red Indians worship lunatics, and we are still by way of respecting the milder sorts. But I say that all men who do not lead that happy life are knaves and fools. The physical cripple, you know, poor devil, I count a sort of bodily fool. Yes, weighed Lewisham, I suppose he is, 
now a fool fails of happiness because of his insufficient mind he miscalculates he stumbles and hobbles some cant or claptrap whirls him away he gets passion out of a book and a wife out of the stews or he quarrels on a petty score threats frighten him vanity beguiles him he fails by blindness but the knave who is not a fool fails against the light many knaves are fools also most are but some are not i know i am a knave but no fool the essence of your knave is that he lacks the will the motive capacity to seek his own greater good the knave abhors persistence straight is the way and narrow the gate the knave cannot keep to it and the fool cannot find it lewisham lost something of what chaffery was saying by reason of a rap outside he rose but ethel was before him he concealed his anxiety as well as he could and was relieved when he heard the front door close again and her footsteps pass into the bedroom by the passage door he reverted to chaffery has it ever occurred to you asked chaffery apparently apropos of nothing that intellectual conviction is no motive at all any more than a railway map will run a train a mile eh said lewisham map run a train a mile of course yes uh, no it won't that is precisely my case said chaffery that is the case of your pure knave everywhere we are not fools because we know but yonder runs the highway windy hard and austere a sort of dry happiness that will endure and here is the pleasant byway lush my boy lush as the poets have it and with its certain man-trap among the flowers ethel returned through the folding doors she glanced at lewisham remained standing for a while sat down in the basket chair as if to resume some domestic needlework that lay upon the table then rose and went back into the bedroom chaffery proceeded to expiate on the transitory nature of passion and all glorious and acute experiences whole passages of that discourse lewisham did not hear so intent was he upon those roses why had ethel gone back into the bedroom was it possible presently she returned but she sat down so that he could not see her face if there is one thing to set against the wholesome life it is adventure chaffery was saying but let every adventurer pray for an early death for with adventure come wounds and with wounds come sickness and except in romances sickness affects the nervous system your nerve goes where are you then my boy shh what's that said lewisham it was a rap at the house door heedless of the flow of golden wisdom he went out at once and admitted a gentleman friend of madame gadow who passed along the passage and vanished down the staircase when he returned chaffery was standing to go i could have talked with you longer he said 
but you have something on your mind i see i will not worry you by guessing what some day you will remember he said no more but laid his hand on lewisham's shoulder one might almost fancy he was offended at something at any other time lewisham might have been propitiatory but now he offered no apology chaffery turned to ethel and looked at her curiously for a moment good-bye he said holding out his hand to her on the doorstep chaffery regarded lewisham with the same curious look and seemed to weigh some remark good-bye he said at last with something in his manner that kept lewisham at the door for a moment looking after his stepfather's receding figure but immediately the roses were uppermost again when he re-entered the living-room he found ethel sitting idly at her typewriter playing with the keys she got up at his return and sat down in the armchair with a novelette that hid her face he stared at her full of questions after all then they had not come he was intensely disappointed now he was intensely angry with the ineffable young shopwoman in black he looked at his watch and then again he took a book and pretended to read and found himself composing a scathing speech of remonstrance to be delivered on the morrow at the flower-shop he put his book down went to his black bag opened and closed it aimlessly he glanced covertly at ethel and found her looking covertly at him he could not quite understand her expression he fidgeted into the bedroom and stopped as dead as a pointer he felt an extraordinary persuasion of the scent of roses so strong did it seem that he glanced outside the room door expecting to find a box there mysteriously arrived but there was no scent of roses in the passage then he saw close by his foot an enigmatical pale object and stooping picked up the creamy petal of a rose he stood with it in his hand perplexed beyond measure he perceived a slight disorder of the valance of the dressing-table and linked it with this petal by a swift intuition he made two steps lifted the valance and behold there lay his roses crushed together he gasped like a man who plunges suddenly into cold water he remained stooping with the valance raised ethel appeared in the half doorway and her expression was unfamiliar he stared at her white face why on earth did you put my roses here he asked she stared back at him her face reflected his astonishment why did you put my roses here he asked again your roses she cried what did you send those roses end of chapter twenty eight